Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is a crowd podcast. Dale Earnhardt is being chased. Nothing new there. He's used to that. It's funny, when 40 other cars are chasing you, 180 miles an hour doesn't feel fast at all. The gas pedal is flat to the floor. NASCAR drivers barely touch the brakes. This is bumper car racing on steroids. The rules are two. Rule one, race hard. Rule two, be ready to throw down with any driver you pissed off along the way. This is Daytona International Speedway, two and a half miles, oval racetrack, one of the fastest in the world. Earnhardt doesn't know it yet, no one knows it yet, but he'll die here one day. That thick concrete wall around the racetrack has his number, but that's not today. Today is three years earlier and the fans are going crazy. Earnhardt is leading the 1998 Daytona 500. They want this, he wants this. Hell, he needs this. See, you need to understand a few things here. Earnhardt is NASCAR's biggest star. He's won the championship seven times. Ordinary Americans know his name. He is an icon. Daytona is NASCAR's biggest race. You don't mean a thing without it, not really. And somehow, somehow Earnhardt hasn't won it yet. He's 0 for 19 here. He's like Dan Marino without the Super Bowl, Steven Gerrard without the Premier League. He's incomplete. He's imperfect. And boy, it eats at him. He won't tell you that, of course. A man they call the Intimidator doesn't tell you things like that. There's never been a NASCAR driver like Dale Earnhardt. Even at 46, his name resonates. He's loved by most for the same reason he's hated by the rest. He races harder than anyone ever has. He's won more than 70 races, sometimes by being an arsehole. If you're in his way, he'll make sure you aren't. He doesn't race to make friends. He's not a bad guy, though. Most drivers love Dale the man. Most can't stand Dale the driver. And he wouldn't have it any other way. He's mellowed with age. Being a father does that. One day he'll race with his son, Dale Jr., Junebug. The thought always makes him smile. He'll be trying to help Junebug win this race on that day in three years' time. It will all be so sudden. It won't seem fair. But like I said, that's not today. Today, Dale Earnhardt is thinking the same old thing. 
Why can't he win this goddamn race? There's just something about Dale Earnhardt. Something in the eyes. Something about the way he looks at you. That's what everyone always says. He's different from the very start. As a kid, he likes riding his bike to the top of a hill, just so he can ride it backwards all the way down. There's a fine line between being stupid and being brave. When you're a kid, you like to push that line. And you stop pushing when you get scared, but Dale doesn't seem to scare easy. In fact, he doesn't really seem to scare at all. You need that to be a racing driver. Well, you need it to be a good racing driver. But blurring the line between life and death, ignoring it's even there, not many of us have that. Dale does from the very start. That's one of the reasons why today the main street into Kannapolis, North Carolina, is Dale Earnhardt Boulevard. One of the reasons why his 1998 race helmet is in the Smithsonian. Even today, 20 years after his death, Dale Earnhardt's name is sacred. Every fan remembers where they were when they heard the news. Like Ayrton Senna, death makes him an immortal, a racing god. Maybe it was always meant to be this way. You'll think this next bit is made up for the sake of a story. You're just going to have to trust that it's not. Dale Earnhardt grows up in a part of Kannapolis called Car Town. The streets around his house are named after America's favourite cars, Dodge, Ford, Chevrolet, Mustang. The Earnhardts live on Sedan Avenue. It sounds like a bad Hollywood movie, doesn't it? The racing driver from Car Town. Straight to DVD, that one. But here's the thing. It's true. Dale Earnhardt of Sedan Avenue, Car Town, Canapolis. I mean, he's hardly going to be a plumber, is he? Sedan Avenue is the perfect street for Dale to grow up on. You might know a sedan as a hatchback, a saloon. The type you drive the kids to school in or take to the coast on a nice day. To Dale, a sedan is the car his dad likes to fix up and take to the local dirt track. This is a time a lot of people miss. The 1950s. Conservative. Traditional. Before the 60s ruin everything. Sputnik doesn't terrify America until Dale is eight years old. Back then, Apollo's just the name of a Greek god. If he's from anywhere else, Dale might want to go to space or to the moon rather than the racetrack. But where he's from, the universe just doesn't feel that big. Canapolis is, and always has been, a working man's town. Dale's dad, his hero, works at the textile mill. People like Ralph Earnhardt were called lintheads. That used to be an insult, but they own it, turn it into a working-class badge of honour. In that part of the world, racing is a release. And if you can do the racing yourself, even better. Ralph is so good, he quits the mill and races for cash. Ralph becomes a big deal in the South. People come from all around just to watch him race. He makes the Earnhardt name mean something. Things are different here. This part of America is called the Piedmont, and it's built on red clay. Red clay is where you have cotton fields and tobacco farms. It's also perfect for dirt tracks. The cars you race on them, they're just like the people who drive. Flashy, but tough as hell. 
You run what you bring, and if it breaks, tough shit. You better make it stronger next time. Dirt track racing is as pure as it gets, like taming a bull. A car moves in ways you don't tell it to. You bump and bash your way to the finish. You race with your elbows, not with your fingertips. You don't finesse a sedan on a dirt track. You strap in, ride it. Don't crash and you won't get hurt. Dale learns how to drive fast, but here he also learns the craft of winning ugly. He learns that pissing people off doesn't matter if you win. You see, Dale wants to be like his dad. His dad, the racing driver. Ralph is tough on and off the track, a man of a different generation. People call him Ironheart. He's that old cliche you see in a thousand movies. He's toughest on Dale, his eldest son, because he knows how good Dale could be. Dale races like no one Ralph has ever seen, like he's unbreakable, like he doesn't understand the concept of death. Dale gets married at 17. Two years and one child later, he gets divorced. Young love always seems so perfect and so complete, but it rarely is. At 21, he marries again, but that marriage won't last either. He drops out of school early and is working shit jobs just to afford to enter the next race. He works for everything that comes later. Ralph still isn't happy though. Dale isn't living up to his potential and he's going nowhere fast. Their relationship is ice and fire. There's never a middle ground. Dale loses his dad two years before his NASCAR debut. Ralph dies of a heart attack in 1973, aged 45. Dale is the one who finds him on the kitchen floor. It always bugs Dale that his dad never gets to see the superstar. That Ralph only sees the kid making mistakes, the kid not living up to his potential. More than anything, it bugs him he never gets to race his old man. Ralph's death lights a fire in Dale. It breaks his heart, of course it does, but it removes any doubt. It's time to do what Dad never did. Time to go to NASCAR. Time to go national. And if you think dirt track racing sounds crazy, this is another level. All that stuff gets turned up to 11. The dirt is replaced with tarmac. The cars are bigger, louder, faster. The engine's built to run at top speed. Braking too often can burn the pistons. You don't have to be a petrol head to know that's bad. The car sat in your garage is built for you. Comfort is key, but there's none of that in NASCAR. There's space for the pedals, a seat, and a steering wheel. Drivers get in and out through the open window. Cars run in packs across between the peloton of the Tour de France and the 100 meters final. There's no podium. The winning driver goes to victory lane. Broken cars are taken to the boneyard. The crowds are huge. Daytona holds 100,000. Charlotte International Speedway, where Dale makes his debut in 1975, holds 175,000 at its peak. The man who gives Dale the keys to his car doesn't even think he can qualify. But of course he does. And people start taking notice of Ralph Earnhardt's kid. He races here and there until 1979 when he gets his big break, a contract for a full season. He never looks back. Rookie of the year in 79, champion in 1980. That's still something no one else has ever done. When he arrives, it's clear who the man to beat is. Richard Petty. The man they call the king. 
and Dale's arrival feels like a passing of the torch. Petty wins his seventh and last title in Dale's rookie year. But Petty wins the Daytona 500 seven times too. That becomes a sore spot for Dale. At the start, no one cares about the Daytona thing. Dale is doing something no one has ever done. He races like no one has ever seen. He goes round other cars, through other cars. He always finds the gap no one else even dares to look for. He doesn't care how he gets there, just that he wins. Dale never wins a race or championship by staying out of trouble. His style is win at all costs. He's still racing like he's on those dirt tracks in North Carolina. Fans love it and they can't get enough of it. But other drivers are not so impressed. One rival jokes there should be 10 bonus points for anyone who takes Dale out of a race. Dale doesn't care. He says, I piss them off Sunday, then I go to the bank Monday. He starts making more prize money than any NASCAR driver before him. He gets a sponsorship deal with Wrangler, the jeans guys. Wrangler's slogan is perfect for Dale. One tough customer. That is Dale and every lint head from Canapolis in a nutshell. With Wrangler, he looks like some rock star turned cowboy. Wavy brown hair, moustache, sunglasses. He walks and talks like he's the coolest man in the world. He's NASCAR's Clint Eastwood. And NASCAR and America and everything is changing just as Dale is becoming a star. Ronald Reagan is in the White House. America is Republican again. TV deals are booming. You see, NASCAR is on ESPN, but Dale is on Sports Center. He's on David Letterman. He's on the cover of Sports Illustrated. He's making NASCAR cool again. But in those early days, Dale doesn't care about any of that. After that first championship, Dale wins everything. Everything except the Daytona 500. He still thinks about Dad a lot. Still feels like he's got something to prove. Here's a moment that stands out. The All-Star Race in 1987 is an exhibition. There's no points or championship on the line, no reason to race on the limit. But Dale races like it's any other event. He's leading, and there's a car right behind him when he gets loose, puts two wheels on the infield grass, and the car goes sideways. Dale should be heading towards the wall, but he keeps his foot in and drives through it. The car corrects, and he stays in the lead. Balls of steel. People are shocked, because he could have crashed. At the very least, he should have backed out. That's what other drivers do in that situation. It becomes known as the pass on the grass even though Dale doesn't actually pass anyone. You know, it's special when they give it its own name. In 88, he gets a new main sponsor, GM Goodwrench. The name isn't important, really, but the colour, the look, everything. He trades in his blue and yellow car for all black. He wins four championships in five years at the start of the 90s. The car... The big number three, white with red lining on the roof and side of his black car. It becomes his trademark, like Senna in the red and white McLaren. Drivers hate to see that car in the mirror. The Intimidator isn't just some name. That black car terrifies other drivers, and so many stories help build the myth. At one race, he drives Daryl Waltrip, one of his biggest rivals, into the wall. Waltrip sees Dale after the race and is ready to fight. He's angry. 
But Dale just smiles at him. Winning just pays more, he says. Waltrip is angry. He wants to choke Dale, but now he's laughing. Now the anger's going away. See, Dale makes you hate him one second and love him the next. At another race, he pushes Terry Labonte out of the lead on the final lap. Labonte spins out and Dale wins. He gives a famous quote to the TV cameras when he's back in victory lane, again with that smile. I wasn't trying to wreck him, but I was just trying to rattle his cage a little bit. That's the intimidator in one TV soundbite. But Dale's no hooligan. For every race he wins by barging someone out of the way, there are five where no one even gets close. He's dropped Wrangler, but that slogan, one tough customer, that is always spot on. In the 90s, he makes a habit of driving hurt. Bumps and bruises, broken bones, concussions, you name it, Dale had it. All part of the job back then. He survives a huge crash at Talladega in 1996. He breaks his collarbone, sternum and shoulder blade, but refuses to give up the number three car. Not long after, he takes another pole position. A reporter asks Dale to describe how it feels to race through the pain barrier, and he says, it hurt so good. There are t-shirts with that quote on them. They sell out immediately. He nearly wins too, but the pain gets the better of him in the final laps. He finishes sixth and has to be pulled out of his car. When people talk about Dale being one of a kind, this is the race they remember. Is he reckless? Maybe. But for some reason, we love people like Dale, don't we? History isn't written by boring people. History bugs Dale, though. The Daytona 500 bugs Dale. He's still not won it, and he knows he can't call himself the greatest ever until he does. He can't tell Dad he's the best. Petty, the king, has seven wins. Dale just wants one. His problem isn't leading at Daytona, it's finishing in the lead. He dominates the Daytona 500 all the time. There's just always something. He leads for 155 laps in 1990. He's 40 seconds in front, and then a yellow flag closes the field up and he gets a puncture on the final lap. He laughs it off afterwards, has the damaged tire framed and put up in his garage as a reminder that nothing worth having comes easy. In 92, he's passed on the final lap, finishes second. He's been second four times, been in the top six ten times. By 98, he's won all of his seven championships. And this time, it's different. Dale has a good luck charm. Before the race, a young fan in a wheelchair gives Dale a lucky penny. Tells him she knows he's going to win the Daytona 500 this time. Dale loves it. He glues the penny to the dashboard. The penny works. Dale dominates again, and this time there's no heartbreak, no late twist to the story, no unfair finish. Dale wins. But it's not the win that people remember, it's what happens afterwards. As Dale drives to Victory Lane, there's a crowd of people, everyone from NASCAR, rival drivers and mechanics of every team, standing in a line down the pit lane. As he passes, one by one, Everyone leans in through the window and shakes Dale's hand. This doesn't happen every year. Usually the winner celebrates and the rest pack up and go home. He does donuts in the infield. The celebrations go late into the night and the fans stay for hours. He's done it. 
Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. They'll keep you up to date with the latest news breaking in Formula One and the most influential views shaping the world of Grand Prix racing. Every Friday, we'll be bringing you a track guide and race preview, and Chris and Drew will be in your feed every morning from Saturday through to Monday to keep you up to date on all the day's action on and off the track. So if you want to be in the know on the latest in Formula One, subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts and visit us at evergreenpodcasts.com. Pass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts. It's 2001 now, and Dale is chasing championship number eight. It feels like his year. But for Dale, there's more to NASCAR than racing and winning now. There's a second Earnhardt on the grid with him. Dale Jr., who everyone calls Junebug. With Junebug, Dale gets what he always wanted with his own dad. They race together. He isn't easy on him, but he is proud. When Junebug wins his first race, Dale pushes reporters out of the way in victory lane to hug his son. And Dale's got more on his plate than ever before. He's a team owner now too, racing for Dale Earnhardt Incorporated. The team is based back home in what Dale calls the Garage Mahal in Canapolis. He's racing with his son, running his own team. Life is good. He says he feels like he's having his cake and eating it too. But unfortunately, that's as good as it's going to get. At the 2001 Daytona 500, he's not the Dale Earnhardt everyone knows. He's handpicked a teammate for him and Junebug. It's Michael Waltrip, Daryl's brother, a talented young guy who just needs a break. Dale wants one of those two to win the big race. He's been there, done that. So Dale isn't aggressive today. He's not the win-at-all-costs Dale everyone knows. He's defensive backing up the pack so Waltrip and Junebug can get clear. The Earnhardt cars dominate, but, like always, there's drama waiting just around the corner. It all happens on the final corner of the final lap, the 500th mile of the race. His tactic works, and his two young drivers race away to win, but this time Dale's the one who gets the hit from behind. His car goes left. Dale reacts immediately, but as he corrects it, the car goes right straight into the concrete wall at 160 miles an hour. At that same moment, he gets T-boned by Ken Schrader's car. There's nothing Schrader can do. It all happens in the blink of an eye. And it kills Dale on impact. The news is everywhere. It's the death of an American icon. President George W. Bush sends his closest aide to the funeral. American author Hunter S. Thompson calls it the most shocking event in the US since the assassination of JFK. One pundit says, Dale was like Elvis Presley and all four Beatles rolled into one. Fans say racing is never the same after that. Sounds dramatic, but that is what Dale means to people. His death is shocking and it forces NASCAR to face up to the fact it's been sitting on a ticking time bomb. The car, the racetracks, the driver, none of it is safe. Here's where the controversy comes in. 
NASCAR, says Dale's seatbelt broke, but people aren't convinced that's the whole story. The autopsy finds Dale suffered a blunt force trauma to the base of the skull, along with eight broken ribs, a shattered breastplate, and a bunch of other injuries. Dale's part of the old school, and so right until the end he refused to wear the latest safety contraption, the hands device, a U-shaped collar drivers wear under the helmet around their neck. Dale calls the hands device a noose. He says it could trap him inside a burning car. But the collar stops violent head movements, and they stopped the exact skull injury Dale suffered. In the aftermath, hands becomes mandatory almost immediately. Formula One make the same decision not long afterwards. The device is still saving lives two decades later. And NASCAR doesn't stop there. Seatbelts are improved and drivers are made to wear proper helmets. Dale's preference was an open-faced one. Concrete walls are now replaced with shock-absorbent barriers. These are the ones you see at circuits all around the world now. The research from Dale's death goes into what NASCAR calls the car of tomorrow, the safest race car ever made. There's been no fatality at a NASCAR race since that day. That's part of the legacy Dale never gets to see, along with Junebug winning the Daytona 500. Twice. He doesn't get to see just how much people love him, either. The rest of the 2001 season is like a year-long wake for Dale. There's a banner that says, Number three, the best there was, is, and ever will be. And it's Junebug that gets the cheers everywhere he goes. At his first race back at Daytona, the Pepsi 400, he wins. It's a famous night in NASCAR history. Junebug is NASCAR's most popular driver until he retires in 2017. And it's not even close. He wins a bunch of races, but no championships. And he doesn't race anything like his dad did. That's harsh though, isn't it? Because let's be honest, nobody does. This episode of Death of a Sports Star was written by Nate Saunders and presented by me, Tom Price. It was edited by Charlie Frost. For research, we used the archives of ESPN, Jalopnik and Bleacher Reports. We read Lee Montville's book At the Altar of Speed, The Fast Life and Tragic Death of Dale Earnhardt. We watched Ryan McGee's documentary Dale and Speed Network's The Day, Remembering Dale Earnhardt. The music we used is from our partners, BMG Production Music. If you want another episode, check out the one about Ayrton Senna, another superstar who drove on the edge and is, of course, still loved by fans to this day. And if you've listened to all of our Sports Star episodes so far, then we have another series called Death of a Rockstar. Search for that and you'll find episodes about Freddie Mercury, Michael Jackson and Bob Marley. Crowd Network. A place where you belong. Get ready, race fans, because the ultimate NASCAR experience is about to hit the airwaves. Welcome to Pit Pass NASCAR, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart-pounding world of NASCAR racing. Join us each week as we bring you closer to the NASCAR action with exclusive interviews and all the news and rumors you need with your favorite drivers, team members, and industry insiders. So whether you're a fan of super speedways, short ovals, or road racing, or you've just watched Talladega Nights, Pit Pass NASCAR is the podcast you've been waiting for. 
Get ready to fuel your passion for NASCAR like never before. Subscribe now to Pit Pass NASCAR on your favorite podcast platform or head to evergreenpodcast.com and get ready to join us. Launching in the fall on Evergreen Podcast Network. Follow us on social media at pitpass underscore NASCAR to stay up to date with everything you need to know about the podcast. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix, dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you after the chequered flag.